We need to actively cultivate positive emotions. There's enough negativity in the world, but I think focusing on what's going right and how to build more positivity in our daily lives and with our partners is really important to remember. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health-enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club to learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. I'm really delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Suzanne Pileggi Pawelski. And she goes as Susie. And Susie is a well being consultant, freelance writer, and international speaker specializing in the science of happiness and its effects on relationships and health. She is a master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. Her 2010 cover story for Scientific American Mind entitled The Happy Couple became the catalyst for her best-selling book, Happy Together, using the science of positive psychology to build love that lasts. Happy Together was named a best book of 2018 by Business Insider, Success Magazine, as well as the Greater Good Science Centre. In addition, Susie pens a popular blog for Psychology Today and writes the Science of Wellbeing column for Live Happy, where she is also a contributing editor. Her writing and work has been featured in numerous top-tier media, including Time Magazine, Inc. Magazine, NPR, The Los Angeles Times, Philadelphia Inquirer, and The London Times. She delivers romance and research workshops around the world with her husband, James. Previously, Susie directed award-winning media relations campaigns for Fortune 500 clients, worked in publicity at Radio City Music Hall, and was an associate producer for HBO Downtown Productions and The Joan Rivers Show. Welcome, Susie, to In The Doctor's Chair. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be with you today. Susie, I want to dive straight in. Uh, I'm, I'm really fascinated by your work on relationships and the book Happy Together. What brought you to write this fascinating book? I felt like there's so much focus in popular culture, especially here in America, where I reside, on getting together rather than being together. Mm and how to stay happy together. So we hear about, you know, tips on meeting that perfect person. And we don't believe in the concept of perfection, or at least I don't. But once you do meet that person, and if you end up, you know, having a partnership or traditionally getting married, then, you know, it, the message is like, that's it, you're there. And I feel that in fairy tales, happily ever after just happens. But we know in real life that there's healthy habits that can lead to healthier, long-lasting love and flourishing relationships. Mm, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. Of course, you know, perfection 
is a misnomer. And this idea of happily ever after, you're absolutely right. How does this book differ from other books on relationships? So it focuses on what can go right in relationships. So many books focus on problems. And of Mm. course, it's important to address problems. We all have challenges. You don't want to ignore them. But if that's all you do, that's not the same as focusing on the good in your relationship. What are those things about your partner and yourself that you bring to the relationship? And how can you develop those strengths? I am. Re- I'm really interested in, I think it was John Gottman's work. And he spoke about this, this ratio of, I think it was five to one, five good things to one, one bad thing that that negative emotion and negative feedback and negative comments had such a strong kind of hangover effect. What do you think about that, about negative emotion, negative feedback? Absolutely. It's so important. Like I said, so I should mention too, um, your previous question, how the book differs from others. It's focused on the science of positive psychology. So it's the first book um, bringing a lot of the research. Gottman um, is fabulous. So we write about his work. I think it's really important because problems scream at us. We all know when we have a problem, right? You stub your toe, it hurts. Or in a relationship with your spouse or with your partner, you know when there's a problem. Unfortunately, a lot of good things like whisper, right? So it's easy Mm -hmm. to take your partner for uh, granted, not noticing maybe small things they do for you on a daily basis. So with his ratio, yeah, the research shows that for every, um, you know, negative sort of interaction, you need more goodness to grow the good so that the negative doesn't take over. And what, what do you think people get wrong about relationships, Susie? I think they focus on what's wrong and trying to solely fix problems and focusing on what is wrong with their partner rather than looking back maybe in the early part of the relationship, you know, what are those things about your partner that attracted you to your partner? And often what I find in talking to a lot of couples when we do our workshops, it's those same things, but are but people sometimes forget to see strengths. So for example, I'll use something from my own life. I like to be very authentic. So one thing I love about my husband from day one when I met him, he just loves to learn. I mean, I like to learn too, but he absolutely loves to learn, has many, many books. Though That same character strength of loving to learn and his analytical thinking years into the relationship, if I ask him a question and he's analyzing and I think sometimes he's just trying to annoy me. Can't you just give me an answer? And how many more books do we have to have in in our apartment? Like, are you trying not to make room for my things, you know? And I have to sit back and realize, wait a minute, James just has a top strength of love and learning. And so too, I think one of the things that he probably loved about me, and um, I'm very zestful, I have very high energy. So that can be attractive thing, But also years later into the relationship, you could look at somebody's strength and seeing it, you know, as a downside. Like, are they trying to irritate me by being, you know, overly um, vivacious, you know, at at nine o'clock at night? So I think looking back at the beginning of a relationship and remembering what are those qualities that we liked about our partner and trying to cast it in, um, you know, as a strength rather than looking at it as a deficit or a problem in the relationship. And I suppose, you know, I think particularly in the last couple of years, there's, there's so much stress in the world now and 
people are often under a lot of pressure. And if you look at how the brain is hardwired, look at the architecture of the brain and how we're hardwired for, you know, fear detection and, and for negativity, it can be easy for relationships to spiral away from your idea of looking at strengths and looking at, you know, the ideal characteristics and getting more into the nitty gritty of, you know, who's putting out the trash kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's important to say again, I mean, positive psychology, the field that I'm in, you know, in brief, you can be defined as the science of strengths or what makes individuals and communities thrive. And though I think a lot of people sometimes confuse it with positive thinking, you know, there's a science Mm -hmm. to it and um, they often think, well, are you ignoring negative emotions? And I want to be very clear, negative emotions, as you know, are very important, right? I I don't really like the name negative and positive, but Mm. things like anger and sadness are really important. If there's, you know, injustice in the world, we're going to get anger angry, right? It's what you do with the emotions or a sense of loss um, to reflect. But I think we learn from the negative emotions. It's the the positive emotions we want to cultivate more of. None of Mm. us want more negative emotions, right? But when they happen, we should take the time to understand they're assigned for something, but we need to actively cultivate positive emotions. There's enough negativity in the world, but I think focusing on what's going right and how to build more positivity in our daily lives and with our partners is really important to remember. Yeah, I think you're you're so right. It's not about positive thinking. It's not about uh, this delusional idea that you should repress and suppress negative emotion because or you know or, or as you said emotions like anger or guilt or anxiety they, these feelings are very very Real, you need to discover where they've come from. But as you said, to build and bring more, more positivity and more positive emotions, more of that good stuff into your own heart and and mind, and and then in, into your relationships as well. A very interesting term that you use, Susie, is this term of the relationship gym. Can you explain what that is? What that means? Definitely. So as I was saying earlier, um, often in pop culture, you know, it's presented this fairy tale myth. You meet someone and, you know, the book ends and you go into the sunset and that's it. Right. And I find it kind of interesting because in every other aspect of our life, we don't think that way. So if we want to be a healthier, um, more fit person, you know, you buy a membership to the gym. Right. And you have to work at it, not just once, but regularly throughout your life to build strength and flexibility. And I feel the same too with relationships. Um, You don't just meet a person, get in a relationship, get married, and that's it. You have to build relational muscle. And the good news is there are uh, science-based skills, habits, I should say, from positive psychology that has found that can help improve our relationships Mm. to build that flexible mindset. Um, There are specific skills and um, with time we can practice these skills, create new habits and improve our relationships. So I like to say we invite couples to join us in the relationship gym. Um, We can all go to the relationship gym and practice regularly, you know, throughout our lives learning new things. What kind of skills and strategies are you, are you talking about, Susie? Can you do, give us a few examples of the types of things people could learn in the relationship gym with their partner? Sure. So one of them, um, we talk about the notion of gratitude. I know gratitude's mm-hmm. a buzzword. And um, I know you spoke to somebody about gratitude in a past um, interview. Gratitude is one of the most important emotions, if not the most important, when it comes to um, romantic relationships. And it's because 
we all want to feel appreciated. A lot of the research shows that couples who break up, it's not usually over those big, awful things that you hear about. Like, sure, people have fights or affairs or really bad things happen. But just as often, if not more, it's those small things that happen on a regular basis. Often people feel underappreciated, not acknowledged, Mm -hmm. taken for granted. Mm -hmm. And by reversing that, by expressing gratitude well, helping our partner realize that they're appreciated can do wonders for the relationship. And it's not just giving gratitude, but it's also receiving gratitude. There's not as much research out there on how we receive gratitude. So for example, let's say um, your partner pays you a compliment and often you could just kind of, you know, be on your iPhone or read the newspaper, distract it, and you just kind of deflect it. We talk about negative ways of receiving gratitude in our book, Happy Together. So if I just kind of brush you off your compliment off, like I would like a crumb or a pesky fly, that's not landing well. And that's shutting down our communication. Instead of putting my phone down, you know, looking at you in the eye and saying, Mark, you know, thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm glad you notice, you know, when I do X, Y, or Z, that means a lot. So simple things like that, being um, attuned to your partner Uh, really listening and letting a compliment land is one skill we can all practice. I think you're so right. You know, it's one thing. I mean, I, I, for me, you know, gratitude in my life is a foundational habit. Susie, I say, you know, gratitude brings perspective to the past, peace to the present moment and a sense of hope for the future. Um, But to actually, as you say, to receive gratitude well, and not only to appreciate people around you, but when people are kind and do good things to you to actually acknowledge that. I think that's really important. I don't know, is it an Irish thing but or not? But we have we have a culture in Ireland, I, I believe, of kind of shrugging things off. Um, if if somebody compliments you or something, you kind of tend to say in Ireland, I sure it is nothing or, you know, there's no bother at all. But but actually, I think it is lovely to accept gratitude and accept kindness. And sometimes people were not so good at doing that. You know, that's a skill we need to learn. Well, you're not the only one. We've given workshops internationally throughout the globe, um, all around the world. Um, It's Eastern, Western, you name it. So many people relate to that notion of deflecting and Mm. not receiving gratitude as if it's a, you know, limited resource. If I receive that gratitude, there's none left you. And it's really interesting. In fact, I was speaking with um, a friend of ours, George Valiant, you know, the eminent Harvard psychiatrist. Absolutely. Wonderful man. I've read his book, You're Aging Well. Oh, he is wonderful. Well, in one of his studies on the, you know, he was at the helm of the Harvard Grand Study, the longest study in adult development. And he talks about this notion. And I said to him, George, what do you think it is? And, you know, maybe we're afraid to be vulnerable. And he Mm -hmm. illustrated this really well. There was an example. It was um, a husband and a wife. He was retiring. um, I think he was a teacher. I'm trying to remember. And she thought, what could I do for him? So she collected a ton of gratitude letters and she was so happy to give it to her husband. And she gave it to him but he couldn't even open the gratitude letters. Like literally he just couldn't, you know, have that vulnerability. So I always thought about that story George told me. So when you're 
giving, um, expressing thanks to someone, it's as if they're, you know, you're giving them a physical gift and they can't open it like a vulnerability. They just can't accept it. And so maybe if we remind ourselves of that and just trying to accept that expression of gratitude, like we would a gift, you wouldn't hand a gift back to someone, try to be vulnerable and help the relationship to go on a deeper level. Mm, I think that's fascinating. The idea of being vulnerable, being open, I suppose really goes back to being more human, isn't it? It's probably how, how we're really meant to be. Definitely. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice, Susie, you would like people to remember most about about having great and successful relationships? I think focusing on the good in your partner and trying to grow that good, seeing their strengths and helping them use their strengths on a daily basis. Uh, we know from positive psychology research, when you help your partner facilitate his or her strengths, it helps with relational well-being. And it makes sense, Mark, because if you're a natural creative person, and I'm helping you bring out your creativity, helping you be more your authentic self, you're going to feel better, right? You're going to feel that, mm -hmm. you know, the other person really gets you. And we all want to be authentic, right? We don't want to wear masks. So seeing the strengths, identifying our strengths and our partners, having conversations about it and creating opportunities. I like to call them, you know, strength dates where you could really use your strengths on a daily basis. I really find, Susie, you know, in my work as a doctor that, you know, more than anything, people want to be listened to and heard and and hopefully understood. And if you can kind of create that kind of space with somebody, you can really go a long way towards supporting people with whatever issue or, or problem or challenge they have. And uh, I think there are so many people in the world that aren't heard and aren't listened to and aren't understood. And yes. I, think, I think it's a huge issue in life in general. I think that is so important. And you know, it's interesting, Mark, because mm -hmm. I think in the beginning of a relationship, we're all so curious. And later on, often we fall into a rut thinking we know all there is about our partner. And I think like gratitude, another strength that is incredibly important, especially in our relationships is curiosity. If mm -hmm. we could maintain that same sense of curiosity, like we did in the dating stage, you know, where you'd be on the phone for hours asking questions, there's so much still to learn about one another. There's still so much we can learn about ourselves. So asking questions and like you said, helping your partner feeling heard and understood. And if you disagree, not, you know, judging them, but but having an open mind and really seeking um, to understand on a deeper level. Mm. I know you talk a lot about, um, you know, philosophers like Aristotle. Where do you see people like Aristotle fitting into your ideas on relationships? So I have to talk about Aristotle because I'm married to a philosopher. So true story, brief version. On our honeymoon, we were uh -huh. talking about Aristotle because when you're married to a philosopher, <laughs> that's what you do. So we we're talking about the Nick and McKeon ethics and we we're talking about Aristotle, how he um, talks about people love three things, the pleasurable friendship. Think mm -hmm. about maybe your buddy in university or college, drinking, going out on the town. Nothing wrong with that. It's based on fun and pleasure. And then another level is uh, utility. And that might be, you know, two business people in their 40s investing money into a company. Great. And he says there's nothing wrong about those kind of friendships. But the highest level of friendship is one that's based on goodness or virtue. You see um, mm. the goodness in the other person. 
So I said to James on our honeymoon, as we were talking about this, I said, I love that notion. And what if we took this up a notch and applied it to our relationships? So hopefully we have a lot of pleasure, definitely on our honeymoon and usefulness. Of course, we bring different skills and talents. We can help each other, you know, carving out a life together, raising a family. But what if we really focused on the goodness and we remember, um, as I was just discussing, to see um, the character strengths of one another and really helping each other develop those skills. And he said, I love that. So we made that like the marital mission statement of our life. And we really try to emphasize the couples remember to focus on the goodness, um, taking some advice from Aristotle, because if it's all you focus on is the pleasure or all you focus on the usefulness, once those things disappear, Aristotle found that often the friendships disappear, right? Um, if money runs out, the company might, you know, fall apart. Or if that friend isn't your drinking buddy anymore, you might not hang out. But unless somebody's character really goes awry, those friendships that have that foundation, or um, we're talking about romantic relationships, are much more sustainable when they're built on goodness and virtue. Absolutely fascinating. Susie, do you believe in the concept of soulmates or do you believe that relationships are sort of developed? Well, if what you think of soulmates is, you know, like a deep connection, I have nothing against that. And that, of course, is beautiful. But I think the um, danger, at least in pop culture, kids are growing up, you know, reading story, uh, fairy tales or films, and it's just, you know, that's it, soulmate. I think it could be very dangerous um, because um, it could lead to a sense of inaction. So if I feel like James, my husband, just completes me, I could just sit back and not be working on my own self-development, right? Mm -hmm. Secondly, it could lead to dependence. Well, mm -hmm. I could just completely rely on my partner. Mm -hmm. And it could also be just very difficult to sustain if one person has to just take care of the other person. So we know from research that we want interdependence, right? You don't want mm. complete independence where, you know, you're not interacting with your partner, but you don't want a sense of codependency. So I think recasting soulmates in a more um, a healthier way, having a deep connection, that's fine, but not a stereotypical where you just meet them and you stop developing and you're just relying on the other person to fulfill your every um, need. Yeah. So what you're really saying is, is, you know, ground your relationships in reality as opposed to uh, as opposed to some sort of delusional view of perfection. As someone once said, miracles are made in the clay, not in the stars. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, what are some of the specific ways, you know, positive psychology can support us to be happy together? So I think one of the ways I keep on talking about strengths is if you don't know what your character strengths are, to find them out. And I should briefly define them. So positive psychologists looked across cultures and time, and they found that there were 24 strengths that were valued. Mm. And these are inner um, qualities, things like gratitude, curiosity, leadership, love. Um, these are different from skills. It's not perfect pitch or being a great football player. These are inherent strengths. We all have them and we have them in different configurations. And they call your top five strengths your signature strengths. Mm -hmm. So it's Mark, what just makes you, you. So yes. we all know somebody who's just a natural leader or somebody just very creative or just very curious. So finding out what your strengths are, what your partners are, and then helping to nurture them. And you could take a free test through the Via Character organization 
It's just viacharacter.org. It takes about 10 minutes. We have a link on our website too on buildhappytogether.com, but it takes about 10 minutes. So I advise couples, find out your strengths, have your partner take his or hers, and then discuss them. Figure out ways you could use your strengths. Have conversations about them. Mm-hmm. What, what was it like growing up with the top strength of curiosity? Tell me a funny story about that. Maybe it got you in trouble at times when you were overly curious, or maybe your top strength had you choose your specific line of work or avoid a certain line of work because you couldn't use that strength. You know, with so much focus nowadays, Susie, on, I suppose, the concept of happiness. And, you know, I, I think it comes across so much now in, in social media, this kind of idea of destination happiness. Why can it be so difficult for people in in loving relationships to stay happy together. Well, in addition to focusing on our partner's uh, weaknesses, which I mentioned, yes, I feel that we try to force ourselves to be happy mm. instead of prioritizing activities that lead to happiness. So, research studies shown they did tests with people like in a lab, and people felt guilty if they weren't feeling automatically happy. And then they felt shameful and never want to feel shameful. That's even worse than feeling guilty, right? So if I'm saying, oh, Mark, I just got to be happy. Why am I not happy? Everyone's happy. There's so much unhappiness. That actually backfires. A better thing to do, research by Barbara Fredrickson, one of the leading emotion Mm. researchers, wonderful scientist. Yeah, she says to find out what brings you joy and then schedule those activities into your day. Okay. So if I know that being outdoors, which is something that really brings me joy, mm-hmm. put that in your day, like you would, you know, a, a important business meeting, or if, if you exercise, put that in your schedule. And also don't limit to this stereotype of this, it tends to be an American happiness, high arousal um, sort of emotion. People equate with happiness. There's so many different emotions, the more nuanced. Barbara Fredrickson says, in fact, there's at least 10 positive emotions we frequent on a daily basis. So in addition to some of the ones that I mentioned, there's things like awe, there's feelings of gratitude, there's joy, there's curiosity. So pick their serenity. There's the more low arousal emotions. So go through the list of positive emotions. Maybe you want to feel more serene. What are some things I can do to feel serene? Or if I want to feel awe, what are Mm. those activities? I think stillness, I think quiet time uh, can be so, so valuable for our mental health and well-being. And, you know, like you, Susie, I love spending time in nature. I think nature can be so restorative. And, uh, you know, my wife and I love to spend time in in health enhancing environments, as we say, like nature. We've got wonderful award winning gardens close to where we live, known as the Mount Congreve Gardens. And uh, I've put a self-directed forest therapy, um, self-guided walk there. It's opening in the spring, but it's a beautiful place. And if you and your husband and family ever come to Ireland, you'll you'll have to come and see it. It really is absolutely spectacular. I would love that. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, it really is. The golden rule, Susie, you know, treat others as you'd like to be treated. What are your thoughts on that? So I was raised always thinking that um, as a nice Catholic girl in a family, it was the golden rule. I think that's a great start. But mm-hmm. when I realized when I got married, I could go on and on about funny stories. But the way I want to be treated in specific situations or things that I like, maybe my husband doesn't like. So, mm-hmm. you know, I love to have chocolate after a meal. I used to always give him chocolate. That's 
it's not something that he loves. So then I thought, well, you know, we talked about the platinum rule, treat others as they want to be treated. And that works to a degree, unless, as you know, as a doctor, some people have bad habits. So if I just want to be treated as James giving me chocolate and wine every single night, you know, occasionally that's good. That might not be best. So we developed the Aristotelian rule where we say treat um, one another as your best self would want to be treated. So what would my best self want? If I Mm. know um, it's good for me to eat healthy, to get outdoors in nature, to get good sleep, and my partner helps treats me in a way um, to encourage those habits, that is a better way. Mm, I think that's a wonderful idea about your best self. It's really aligning that idea of of, of positive health and, and well-being into, into your relationships. I think that's wonderful. And how do you stay healthy yourself, Susie? So I get outdoors most days of the week. I had mm-hmm. my couple of uh, mile run earlier. I'm very much into physical physical exercise, cardio, interval training, and yoga. So that's good. And I feel that a flexible body helps a flexible mind. We know it's connected, right? Absolutely. I try to meditate as well and surround myself around supportive um, friends and family. Yeah. I mean, as I always say, exercise, the greatest pill of all. I mean, you know, just moving for 10 minutes can can change your, change your emotional state. It's really, really, really so good. What about sleep, Susie? Do you value your sleep? I value it. And I'm going to be honest, that's something that is my hardest habit to be consistent with my sleep. I have no problem going outside and running five miles when I'm tired. And because of my high energy, I have to balance that. That's why the meditating helps me to balance me out and trying to get enough sleep, even though I could cope on less. So that's something James, my husband, tries to help me to make sure I get enough sleep. So I'm working on that one. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear you're working on something. Because I think in life we all we all have gaps, and but it's mm-hmm. to stay on that curve, isn't it? And of, of really working to continue to improve your health and well being in small, sustainable ways. For our listeners, Susie, three take homes for a resilient mind. Okay, I think the first one to lead with curiosity. Mm-hmm. Ask questions. There's always something to learn about your partner and others in the world, especially now with you know so many differences and. Um, issues going on. So lead with curiosity would be my first. My second is similar, uh, being open to new experiences, try new things. We know novelty is really important for relationships, keeping them fresh and alive, whether that's an outdoor adventure or, you know, a new hobby, maybe you want to do with your partner. And I think the third would be seek progress, not perfection, Mm. because there's no such thing as perfection. Absolutely. And we're all perfect in our imperfections, as I, as I like to say. Susie, finally for you, what's the meaning of life? That's a good one. I wish I had my philosopher husband here. He would have a lot to say about that. <laughs> I think it's about um, forging loving connections and seeing the good in one another and really helping to nurture that good to make a positive impact on the world. Fantastic. Well, Susie, it's been wonderful having you in the doctor's chair. It's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, You're a wonderful writer. All I can do is wish you every possible good wish in your future career and in your endeavors. And of course, most importantly of all, in your key relationships. Susie, thank you so much for being in the doctor's chair. Thank you so much. I had such a wonderful time speaking with you today. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. 
For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.